Welcome back to Beers with Buds. I'm your host, Andrew Friedman, the Cannabis Sommelier. I'm joined by my bud, Mario Fabri. He's in Los Angeles. I'm hanging out in Calgary, Alberta. Thank you so much for joining me here on Skype, Mario. Um, glad to have you here. Yeah, thank you so much for having me, man. This is, uh, I've been really looking forward to this. I love everything that you've been working on. I'm excited to see how we could fuse uh, my cooking story in with your beers and buds and everything you got going on. I love it. So why don't you just uh, introduce yourself to everybody? Give give everybody your bio so that they can know a little bit about you. Yeah, my name is Mario Fabri, and right now I'm really focused on working on this new vegan cooking show that I have. It's called Trying Vegan with Mario, where I am actually a non-vegan who's on a mission to learn how I can cook the best plant-based foods, the most nutrient-dense foods from the most expert vegan chefs on the planet, and to make that transition from being somebody who you know, grew up eating a ton of Italian beef, Italian sausage, cheese, lasagna, a bunch of things that eventually everybody loves. I'm not trying to put anybody down on this podcast, you know, uh, enjoy what you like uh, in the moments that it makes sense. But I found that some of that food wasn't fueling my body as much as I was hoping it would. And that's why I decided to create this cooking show where I'm on a mission to learn how to eat plant-based food. And, and right now we're working on season three of Try and Vegan with Mario. We launched season two just a couple of days ago. And and I'm really enjoying the process of being able to, to be a host, be in front of the camera, bring interesting guests in, tell exciting stories, learn how to cook food, and hopefully people who are watching my show can learn through some of that experience. So that's, that's where I'm at right now. Uh, but I like to think of myself as somebody who's really excited about entrepreneurship and the fact that I believe that entrepreneurship, creativity, and small business with the right attitude, with the right moral values, with the right um, perspective in mind could solve a lot of the world's issues and could just make the world a better place. So that's the foundation of it. Trying vegan with Mario is just one subsector of everything, uh, this bigger picture, but I just love working hard on things that feel uh, like they're adding value to the planet. That's so awesome. So I have two questions. One, do you still eat meat? Occasionally. Okay, Occasionally yeah. I will. Um, I don't cook. I don't shop for meat, but I was just home for the holidays. And yeah. everybody's making their special dishes and wanting you to try everything. And, and those are the moments when I will sometimes break and eat meat uh, and eat plant, non-plant-based foods. But that, that is a rarity. And the evolution of this show, like I had mentioned, is I wasn't uh, – starting out, I was the complete opposite of vegan. And I'm getting step and step closer. But one of the things I recognize and acknowledge is that uh, it's better to do the best you can. It's better to make progress to be perfect and, and again i don't even know if veganism is the answer or if it is perfect right now it feels good so i try and limit the amount of meat that i eat but occasionally on the holidays uh sometimes things break yeah that's fair and you're gonna feel bad anyways because you know it's it's the holidays no matter what you're gonna eat a little yeah bit. <laughs> you might as well yeah. go full stop i appreciate the way that. around it yeah no that's wonderful and congratulations uh your show was on cable on the east coast in the united states that's incredible thank um, you how did you get into making content? Like what, uh, what was the first content splash? How did you like get into that world? That's a, that's a good question. So I never thought I'd be a videographer or a photographer or a content creator in my entire life. Uh, and then my grandma actually bought me a camera and I just developed an interest into it. So actually backtracking on my story. So right now I host a cooking show, but for people who don't know before that I was producing other people's cooking shows okay. constantly making content. So it's kind of nice. Now, a lot of times I have other people filming and creating the content for me, but I'm totally a content creator at heart. Like I 
know all the Photoshop, Illustrator, InDesign, Adobe Premiere, every technical skill, every camera that's in front of me. I think that that's something that's super important is being able to understand how the entire shape of your business works so that you could best influence it. So that's where I'm at today. But, but back starting out, uh, I, my grandma gave me a camera, didn't really know what I was going to do with it. And then one day, I, one of my best friends, he lost 100 pounds, got in the best shape of his life, totally transformed everything that was happening for him. And I asked him how he did it. And he said he started eating nutrient-dense plant-based foods. He basically went vegan. All these positive things happened to him. And I developed an obsession for healthy food. And this was also right around the same time that my grandma gave me a camera. So I was like, I have a camera. I love making healthy food. I want to tell other people about all this healthy food that I'm eating. So I just started taking pictures of the food and it kind of just picked up from there. Once I started doing it, I, I saw how Instagram was kind of a new thing at the time and how it seemed like it could be an incredible opportunity to start distributing different types of information. All my friends who were on Instagram at the time were in college showcasing their life and sharing with friends, which is great. I think there's nothing wrong with that. But I was like, interesting. Like this, is, this seems like an outlying opportunity. I'm not sure if you've ever heard of like outliers, but um, it's just when a time and an opportunity and a technology or an invention all happen at the right time at the right moment, and the few people that get involved with it early are the, are the people that could have the greatest success off of that opportunity. And I believe there's a few of those outliers out there. And I think that I might have not been the earliest on the content, but it seemed like a great opportunity to share good ideas. So it just all made sense. Take pictures of food. People like the pictures. People make the recipes. Let's just keep going and going and growing this thing. Yeah, that's awesome. You've definitely inspired me to eat more plant-based. I actually consciously think about it. Which is yes. cool. it's all you, Andrew, my man. That like that means everything to me. That's why I do this. That's awesome. Even if it's just one time, I just pop into your head, just like Mario. Like maybe I just like won't have that, and maybe I'll have that instead. Even if it just happens once, that makes me feel good. Yeah, no, totally. I've been uh, just seeing the healthy lifestyle that you're trying to do, and the whole shift. Like I used to drink a lot of pop. I was super addicted to pop when I stopped smoking cigarettes, and. Uh, you know, I only drink water now. I, I pop sugar is the enemy, and just that's the next step is just more, more veggies, more yeah, healthy food. I love it. I right? love that's, it. That's, that's, I feel that's so a great good. transformation. You feel because I don't. <laughs> I had well, I had I had Taco Bell today. <laughs> okay, okay, and that was like my guiltiest pleasure. And as I was driving there, I heard on the radio. The woman's like, today you should go out and eat the worst food for you. And I was literally on my way to the dispensary in Taco Bell. And I was like, okay, well, somebody's speaking to me. At least I'm not by myself. Yeah, no, that was a sign. You, you find your balance. But so now cool. I want to make, so you put out your favorite recipe of the year, right? Um, yes. I don't want to tell everybody about it because I really want to make it. Why don't you, why don't you uh, tell me about it? Yes, my favorite recipe from season one was this bodybuilder bodybuilder cheese fries so it was vegan cheese sauce which to a lot of people sounds crazy and i don't even know how i feel about the word vegan cheese it's not it doesn't really correlate that's my whole transition i'm like i'm transitioning to veganism people are like you got to try out this meat and i'm like that's not meat we should call it something else that's a whole different story but anyway i'm just fitting into the culture we call it vegan cheese sauce so it's this bodybuilder cheese fries and the most amazing thing so the way that we get this cheese sauce and this cheese texture actually is by using vegetables. We use boiled 
potatoes and boiled carrots that when blended together with olive oil, jalapenos, jalapeno brine, nutritional yeast, garlic salt, onion powder, arrowroot flour, uh, tomato paste, even add in some miso paste into there. And then the last one I add in is this stuff called hemp protein because this is bodybuilder. We want it to be a high protein recipe. I'm, I'm trying to, yeah, there we go. Looking good, Andrew. I wish this that this was the video recording, uh, but we're, we're flexing because we're talking about we're talking about getting in some good shape. But those are those are kind of the core ingredients that we add in this hemp protein, uh, which is something that tastes moderately good. It's a very healthy fat, very healthy plant based protein. It doesn't really take away from the flavor of it, but it allows it to be a very high protein, very high macro, very high calorie. If you're somebody who's trying to put on weight. It's that type of recipe, You're trying to get big and bulk up. It's that type of recipe. So it's the it's the bodybuilder cheese fries, and it's it's amazing. I can imagine the consistency probably is like Taco Bell Supreme fries, actually, because that it is. That's what I'm imagining. What it is. <laughs> you gotta uh, come come to my kitchen. Actually, uh, have you had the Crunchwrap Supreme at Taco Bell? Uh, yeah, of course. Are you with that? <laughs> <laughs> of course. All right. So that that was one of my favorite things growing up. And this cheese sauce I actually used in a vegan Crunchwrap Supreme recipe that I made. So I used this cheese sauce. I made a like cauliflower, ground beef inspired uh, mince to go in there. And then a couple of other things. And I made a Crunchwrap Supreme. And that's also on my show and on my site. But that like I want, if you're ever in LA. Oh, I'm going to be back ASAP. I'm planning a whole bunch of events because I'm, uh, I'm full time as the cannabis sommelier now. It's a... Uh... Yeah, it's game on. I'm going all in. It, there's, a, like you said, the outliers. There's, there's a moment where everything lines up, and it's either you're in it or you're not, and and uh, it's the moment. So I'm gonna be back in LA, and you're cooking for me. Yes. No, that. So you're talking about this moment, like cannabis sommelier. I saw. So for those who don't know or haven't seen Andrew work his magic in person, the way that Andrew and I had met was we were at a cooking party that was also a cannabis party. And I was at a booth where we were cooking potatoes and serving food, and we had the CBD-infused vegan ranch sauce that went with it. And he was to the side of me, uh, totally just stealing the show, getting people so excited about cannabis and wine and the future of both of these industries. Uh, and you just mentioned to me that you're going full-time on this. So what are, what are some of the things that excite you? What's, what's next? How can I like, follow along with this journey? Well, uh, it's all about normalizing cannabis. It's literally bringing, my whole motto is bringing cannabis back to the dinner table. And that's why I'm so excited to chat with you because you're, uh, you're changing the dinner conversation by, by uh, normalizing plant-based foods. And I'm trying to normalize cannabis as an ingredient, as an aperitif and digestif. Um, you know, so I, I, I think it would be really cool if we could make something infused together, something vegan, something infused. Yeah. That, that would be super exciting. That would be very interesting. I like that. I, I've never actually cooked like with cannabis before. I think oh, that that's something I need to get into. Yeah, and I think that that's something that's very well received, especially by the vegan community. I think that that could be like an interesting fusion because in a lot of ways, not to stereotype or generalize, and I can't represent for the whole vegan community, um, but there's a lot of interesting and unknown health benefits to cannabis and especially to CBDs and to all things associated with it. And a lot of the people that I meet and talk to are people who are inspired by healthy food for similar reasons. So there's, I feel like there's so much crossover. If we could figure out a way uh, to normalize CBDs, normalize cannabis, normalize plant-based food and make it a part of this just 
more open, free, accepting, and accessible economy, I don't see how that couldn't just be better for everyone. Totally. You were talking about hemp protein before, and it, I had this idea. I was like, I know there's no CBD in hemp protein, but it would be very interesting to have that same hemp protein with CBD so that you're always just having that kind of muscle relaxing yeah. quality if you're you know especially if you're in because it was bodybuilder cheese fries all i'm imagining is just a little bit of cbd in the bodybuilder cheese fries if it was uh, could amalgamate with the hemp powder or i could infuse it into the olive oil no problem that's what oh. I, do. I do a lot of different olive oils cold soaks just to use it as an actual flavored ingredient uh and activated uh buds as well to get get the psychoactive ingredient so that would be awesome that would that would be awesome. So, uh, question on that. I'm not sure if you you know the answer, but with one idea this gave me is with bodybuilders with getting in a lot of into good shape. A lot of times, something that happens is when you're overworking your muscle, you're overworking your joint, and you're 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 trying to push yourself. Sometimes your muscles can go farther than your joints, and you start to get sore. You start to get inflammation. Mm-hmm. So, bodybuilders are constantly looking for things that are going to reduce inflammation. That's a big thing in plant based food. Plant-based foods are anti-inflammatory. They reduce inflammation, whereas dairy, cheeses, and meat cause inflammation. So that's a big benefit. Doesn't CBD also reduce yeah. inflammation? Like, I've heard that in so many ways. Anti, it's an anti-inflammatory. I believe THC as well is an anti-inflammatory. I think THC yeah. is more of an anti-inflammatory. Don't quote me on that. But I know that the, there's a hot word in the cannabis community, the entourage effect. And I know that um, terpenes uh, have a lot of different uh, anti-inflammatory things because we already refine terpenes from different plants and, and flowers and stuff to treat inflammation um so just the yeah those heavier concentrations of terpenes with a high concentration of thc and cbd the stinkier more potent cannabis is going to be the most uh anti-inflammatory all right well let's throw it in the bodybuilder cheese fries so we're getting jacked and we're reducing our joint inflammation at the same time I love it. That's so cool. That's so cool. That excites me a bunch. I have a lot of cool episodes coming up on uh, my channel. I'm going to be doing an olive oil. So I usually work with simple syrup. I have a few different infusions on the channel, but I usually work with simple syrups with the cocktails, but I'm going to hop into a little bit of cooking. So I'm going to do olive oil, but then I'm going to teach my homemade infused hot sauce that I do all the time. Uh, we're going to be doing minced garlic, peanut butter. Sarah's going to be doing an olive oil cake. She was actually just talking. Um, she was excited that I was chatting with you because she really wants to do an infused vegan pie she does a lot of pies that's kind of her thing is uh is pies so yeah maybe she could teach me a pie i don't have any pie recipes oh man she was gonna i've been trying to get herself a stand in the farmer's market because she takes pie orders every once in a while like she's incredible at it it blows my mind she doesn't even use a recipe for pie dough she's just in it it's great at christmas she was kneaded out and i was like oh how do you do this you're so small (laughs) i bought her a kitchenaid mixer for christmas right after that Oh, spot on. Nice. <laughs> yeah. Well, uh, so this is Beers with Buds. Uh, I have a beer. Do you have a beer? Oh, fantastic. Here, man. <laughs> Wonderful. Uh, yes. I think it's time to crack them then. So, I like it. What did you uh, what did you choose? So, I have here a... So, I've actually never had this beer before. Okay. And I'm trying it for the first time, and I'm excited about that. And I love trying new things. It's a big part of part of my show and my whole attitude about, you know, just growing in life. So we're trying something new today. And this is Hollows and Fentimins Ginger Beer. Oh, wonderful. Yes. And I'm going to grab a glass just like you are. Awesome. Is it an alcoholic ginger beer? Yes, it is. 
Okay, because they do do them without uh, alcohol as well. Yeah, that's kind of the customary, I think, non-alcohol. But this is alcohol. Uh, I love and the alcoholic ones. And if you ever, uh, I love ginger flavored. If uh, I make an infused ginger syrup on my channel, and then I do a, a bonus in the same episode, if anybody wants to watch for like the secret episode, like they used to put on records, uh, I teach how to make. Uh, the, I use the sliced ginger and make it into ginger candy, and it's like very lightly infused. And your mom will always eat microdosed ginger candy. Really? <laughs> Cheers! It. Cheers! Wow, that's really good. I nice really like that. Yeah, nice, nice and spicy. It's, like huh, it's kind of like a little bit smoother than I thought it was going to be. There's probably a lot of sugar. There's probably a lot of sugar. There definitely is a lot of sugar. But one of the reasons I, I chose ginger is just relates to everything that I'm working on. I was excited to try this because ginger is something that I use in cooking a ton. And it's something that a lot of the guests bring onto my show in their recipes. Whenever I bring on a doctor or a scientist or... A nutrition-based chef, a lot of times we're cooking with ginger because ginger, A, has a lot of strong flavor, uh, so it can go a long way. It could, a lot of things like when you're cooking, if you're making a soup, for example, uh, one of the recipes I did was this epic healing soup, and ginger was just the foundation of it, and it just strengthened a lot of the other flavors. Uh, so was super excited about that. So that's one of the reasons is because it adds a lot of flavor. Uh, but the second reason is because it is insanely healthy. It's insanely anti-inflammatory. Uh, I actually did an episode with these girls, Cruella, who are DJs. Uh, I'm not sure if you've heard of Cruella. but I saw Cruella at Coachella 2012 at the Sahara State. Wow. There you go. Pretty cool. And now I'm trying to plan parties for Coachella. That's so cool. That, wow. Uh, are they your friends? Yeah, yeah. So they're, uh, they're some of my friends out in LA, and they were guests on my show. They were guests on, I had Cruella on Trying Vegan with Mario. I, I watched the episode. I'm, <laughs> yeah. I'm trying to play bashful. I was like a fan. I was like, oh, this is really cool. It was so cool for me, too. Every episode, I'm, I'm mind blown at just the fact that I'm soaking in all this information with these incredible people. And, and they, were, they were such interesting guests because they have such a high energy lifestyle. They're involved in an industry that is so much like sex drugs and rock and roll and how does health fit into that at all in so many ways it doesn't but they are always cooking on their instagram they're always talking about eating healthier foods and they came out of my show and they were explaining to me how they eat super healthy nutrient-dense plant-based foods when they're on tour they did one year where they paid played 200 shows in in a year 200 shows in a year played one show for, I was at the show where they were at Red Rocks in Colorado and there were 10,000 people in the audience. It was insane. And it's like, how, how do they have this energy? And for them, it's eating healthy, it's cooking well, and it's doing the right things for your body. And one of the things that we cooked on my show when they were guests is they taught me this healing soup recipe. And again, the foundation of it was ginger. And when we were talking, uh, Jahan, who's one of the members of Cruella, she went on this story about how during one of her most rigorous seasons, she was having a drink of ginger, like ginger and lemon juice and water uh, into like kind of like a tea or you just add ginger to tea because it is super good for your throat. It helps reduce the inflammation in your throat. It increases your blood circulation. And if you're a vocalist, that's really good. So she was constantly having ginger as a way to soothe her throat when she was on tour and doing all these performances. 
So when I saw this, when I saw the ginger beer in my store, I was like, when in the store, I was like, what is something that could relate to me and make me, make me excited? And I saw that and I was like, that, that means so much to me. So I love finding things that I could try out and, um, also learn a little bit at the same time. Would you buy it again? Whole Foods. Whole Foods? Would you buy it again? Oh, would I buy it? As you said, where I buy it? Yeah. Yeah. I'll definitely buy this again. Okay. Okay. You'll, you'll, you'll do it. A nice, uh, you can always crank it up with a little bit of vodka, put some, make it a yeah. boss meal. <laughs> I like I that. Love that. That's so cool. I wanted to, yeah, I, I, uh, I released an album in 2014. I, uh, I really wanted to be a DJ on that level. Well, I wanted to be a producer on that level. So it's really cool that you're getting into yeah. work. Yeah. I love music. If you come to Canada, I'd love to host you. If you ever want to come, you can stay here. Um, but I've got a whole studio in the basement now I, uh, I actually just got booked for a dj gig i'm gonna be playing again for my first time in like three years uh for this like turntable festival at uh, a, lo- a really cool local brewery so i'm stoked nice yes you know it's not it's not a one-stop shop here with the cannabis somali no no we're doing a little bit of everything i'm hoping that whenever the next season of videos goes out you got like your cannabis sommelier like jingle you know have you produced any music for your show yet? Like, is there? I gotta. I, I'm gonna. I gotta put the cannabis. I'm putting the cannabis sommelier freestyle on right now. Hold on. I hope it plays. I uh, yeah. I because I so I used to be a rapper at one point in my life, um, or that's what I really wanted to be okay. in life, and that's how I ended up making music. Um, but I did a. I was trying to make a like a theme song last year, and I ended up like freestyling this. Uh, this awesome but also kind of ridiculous uh, song. So I'm, I'm going to play it for you. Yes. Because <laughs> it's a... Yeah, here we go. Can you hear it? What's my name? What's my name? The Cannabis Somali What's my name? What's my name? Cannabis Somali And I blaze. Yeah, so I made a, I did, uh, yeah, I did, I did go there at one point. That goes for another three minutes, but I don't, uh, I don't want to subject to that. I only get so much time with you tonight, and I don't want, I don't want it to all be me rapping. Wow, that was good. That, that was nice. I like that. You, you, uh, you came up with something that was tight, like memorable. By the second chorus, I knew it and I was ready for it. And I'm like, this is on on point. That's what you need. Because it's Keep working out. Don't give up, man. Oh. Back to that rap career. You know, it's funny. As, as this grows and the YouTube channel grows and I get to talk to more people, I, I have a really good feeling that it'll come full circle back to music because that's what I, you know, I quit my job for a year to be a full-time musician and I recorded so much music and I got too scared to ever release it. And there's so much music. And it's like, I'm so passionate about it. I learned so many lessons 
from how I failed as a musician that I'm putting into my work uh, with the YouTube channel because it's just all about consistency and showing up and being accountable. I'm sure you. I'm sure you can speak to that. It's it's all about just continue. You were you got into a food thing at the start of Instagram. Like people don't get it. They think you're an overnight success. Uh, yeah. Success came quickly at a point, but you were grinding. You were producing other people's shows. Oh yeah, it's such a build, and all the skills that you start building on from five years ago. If you could figure out, if you could figure out what you're skilled at, and if you could figure out what you're passionate about, and then how you could use those two things to add value for people. That's where a lot of this starts, but some skill a lot of times just starts at a very low level where you feel like naturally excited about something. Maybe it was a little bit easy for you, but it just takes so many years of practicing that and practicing that and letting go of your ego and letting go of expectations because you'll always have a vision for how your art should turn out, but you're never going to be at your vision for your art. So all the art you're making in that moment always feels insignificant, but in today's day and age, you have to let go of your ego and start putting that stuff out there if you want to turn it into a business, right? Because so many people are like, I have the talent, I have the ideas, and maybe one day I'll put it out, out there and then I'll be, and then I'll blow up. But no, you got to take years and years going into it. You know, I can't, I can't tell you how many recipes and food photos I, I took uh, before I ever started to get any traction or any success or, or have the right idea to connect it all together. It took a long time. No, totally. And just, uh, you, it, if you hadn't had that practice, like you wouldn't be good. You wouldn't be a great, you wouldn't be great. Like you are now, right? The skill set, the Mario that you are, this, you know, super Mario wouldn't, wouldn't exist. Wouldn't be the editor and producer and videographer that you are. No, no way. Uh, not, not in the slightest bit. And for so long too, to gain skills, like one thing, if I were to give somebody advice who, is passionate about something, feels like they might be good at something, and wants to turn it into a career, in those first couple of years, do as much work as you can. Even to the point, I think everybody has to get to a point where they have too much on their plate, and maybe they let somebody down who is their mentor, and then they get whipped into shape, and then they figure it out. But until that moment happens, anything that's a good opportunity, put it on your plate, be willing to work for free, be willing to do anything that's in that motion. If somebody gives you a task and you don't know how to do it, um, I like to err on the side of transparency. You know, I don't go around lying to people, but I also have in many occasions told people I knew how to do something that I had no idea how to do, knowing that I'd have to figure it out and I would figure it out. And, and maybe if you fail a couple times in between, that's okay. But, but so much of it is like pushing yourself, be willing to work for free, be willing to plant seeds and figure out like, okay, there's a much bigger picture to this all, a much bigger picture. Like, like I'd mentioned, I started taking photos of food four or five years ago and I was producing other shows and doing all those other things, but it wasn't until this year that that experience feels like it's actually paying off. So all that free work that I did five years ago is finally feels like it's actually paying off. So it's, yeah, overnight yeah. success is the biggest like misconception of them all. Worth it, you, so worth it to do free work. Nobody ever forgets the hard free work you do for them. If, if, if it's washing dishes in the kitchen with the chefs I work with or whatever, wash the floor, it's like, I got you. I might be the yeah. sloppy, but I'm not going to wash the floor because you asked. Like, yeah. Uh, yes. I love that. And I think, I think people need to understand when I got into wine, uh, I took my first wine course. I saw this documentary. I booked a wine course that Friday. 
and I, and I put out a hundred resumes to go work on a vineyard the day after I took the wine course. And a month later I was living on a vineyard because I knew the only way that I could relate and be great was to be there in it submerged. Yeah. Like that, that's it. Nothing. And it's like three years of wine and I'm, I'm still not that great at wine. Like I got accreditations, but the pieces of paper, are, you know, <laughs> I, I might as well roll a blunt with them because yeah. <laughs> They're not doing anything for what you actually know. No. Yeah, they don't mean anything. My favorite producer story, though, my great uncle Arthur, Arthur Hiller, um, he's the president of the Academy Awards for 22 years. And yeah, uh, wow. he did Silver Streak and a whole bunch of great movies, The Americanization of Emily. Uh, but he had gone back from the war. This is the right place, right time. Kind of eat shit, but end up in a great moment. And uh, so he's working at CBC. And he's just working on the set, whatever. can't remember what his actual job was. Um, but he had this great flowing hair, and he's walking through the set. And I guess the producer of the shoot didn't show up. And they're like, are you the producer? And he said, yes, yes, I am. And he had no idea what he was doing. And he just hopped into action. And, uh, yeah, from that made-for-TV CBC moment, like, I think that was in the 50s. Wow. Uh, yeah, he won Oscars and uh, became the president of the Academy Awards, which is incredible. Going to his house before he passed away, I was pretty young, um, but like I still remember the amazing stuff in that house. And my second cousins on my dad's side are Joel and Ethan Cohen, which is really cool. I've never got to meet them, but I uh, <laughs> maybe they sound, wait. They sound like the most familiar. Who? What are they? What are they known for? Uh, the big mouse. No okay, yeah. And, okay. Uh, oh, I love that. Love Fargo. That. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Nice. <laughs> wow, that's amazing. Yeah, but that's but just uh, you know, he just took to the took to the took to the job. It's like, whoa, all right, can you do it? Fuck yeah, I can do it. No problem. <laughs> Full send, no breaks. Yes. I'll make a career out of it because this is great. Yeah, we'll see what happens. But I believe in myself. But I believe in myself, and the one and this opportunity worked because it was the right place, the right time. It was an outlier moment, and there yes. it was. Take it, yes. seize it, and run with it. Yes, that's spot on. Oh, I love that. That's so that's so interesting. Um, it kind of reminds me of this story that I just heard kind of recently about Steven Spielberg. Okay. So obviously one of the most famous directors of all time, Jaws, Jurassic Park, you know, every everything else, you know it. Steven Spielberg. So when Steven Spielberg was 18 years old, he actually got rejected from getting into film school. So he didn't get into film school. He got turned down, but he was super passionate about it. He knew it's what he wanted to do, and he was going to figure out a way to do it no matter what. So he comes up with this genius idea where he wants to, he wants to get the in. He wants to learn from a professional. If the school is not going to teach him, who is somebody who is an expert and has experience, and you can get under his wing and learn from them. So he comes up with this idea where he books a tour to tour the Universal Studio lot. So he goes on this tour, and it's a couple hours of just mo the most boring things ever. They don't really give you any deep insights into anything. But he's in Universal Studios, so this is an opportunity. And what he does is he escapes the tour, and he goes and he hides in the bathroom. And the tour forgets about him. The tour is over, and when the tour is over, he gets out of the bathroom, and now he's just freely on the Universal Studio lot, and it's an opportunity. So what Spielberg does is he goes and he finds somebody who he can approach and talk to. He starts talking to this guy who's directing his set and just sparks up a conversation, whatever, casually. I don't, I don't know how it happens, but he starts a conversation with this guy. 
And they start talking for a while and he's observing the set, soaking in so much more information than you could get at, at a college or, or on the tour. And at the end of a little bit of time talking to this guy, this guy's like, all right, Steven, what the heck are you actually doing here? How'd you even end up talking to me? And Steven tells him what happened. And this guy's like, I like your spunk. I like your style. I'm going to give you a three-day pass so you could come back for the next three days and you could sit in on my set. So he, that's his first in. So he has his in. He starts showing up for the next three days, but he's not done. You know, he wants to capitalize on this opportunity. You know, you see something and you're in it and you're passionate about it. And you're like, you kind of become naive in almost a beneficial way. And you're like, I can just, I'll figure this out. So for the next three days, what he does is he becomes really good friends with all the security guards. And when the three days are up, the security guards just know him. They don't realize his three days are up. So he doesn't even have to start showing his credentials anymore. So now he's got the in. So now Spielberg comes back for the entire next month. At yes. the end of the month, this, the original guy who brought him in on this whole thing and let him stay for those couple hours was like, all right, it's been a month. I don't know how you did it, but this has got to end. What I'll do for you is I'll let you go home, take what you learned from this experience, write a script, write a story, and in a, in a couple weeks, come back to me and submit the best thing that you have. So Steven Spielberg goes home, creates, creates a script for something, comes back, gives it to the guy, his new mentor. The guy was blown away by it and brought it to the highest people on the highest level, and they gave Spielberg a contract, and he became one of the youngest directors in Hollywood history. Bam. 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 That's it. Yeah, that's it, man. Mind that is drop. like, boom. That is just seeing what you want to do and being willing enough to pursue it. Hustling yeah. hard will set you apart. That's yeah. G, Stevie Spielberg. Yeah, Stevie Spielberg. Yes. <laughs> Big ups. <laughs> do you ever have Big any mentors? Yeah. Yeah, I think that having mentors was definitely one of the most pivotal things that, that ever happened to me. When I was in college, I worked for a startup company. I was going to Boulder, Colorado. I was a freshman there, and I met a couple people who had this startup company called Tuition Specialists. They're helping out-of-state students become eligible for in-state tuition. I thought it was the most genius thing ever. I actually became one of their clients, and they were helping me get in-state tuition. And I thought this was such a brilliant, genius thing uh, that I was so excited about it. And I just took a notepad and I went through my entire dorm building and just started knocking on everybody's doors. And I was like, hey, you guys want to get in-state tuition? I know some people that could help you out. Uh, so I took a list of names and emails and phone numbers. And then I showed up to my first meeting with these guys. And we go through the whole meeting. And at the end of the meeting, I was kind of like afraid to show them this list. Um, but I showed them the list of people that I had that might be interested and the guy was like, holy shit, like, you're, you're one of our, they're like, you're one of our first clients. Like we don't have anybody else. Yeah. I, so I found out at the spot that this was a brand new company and they were so enthused by that, uh, that I ended up becoming the fourth person on their company and the people who had founded it ended up being my biggest mentors. They started telling me about why they started tuition specialists and what their mission was and how to build a strong company culture. They told me that they believed in me when I told them I was going to school for mathematics, but I don't feel like I could picture myself doing a math related job for the rest of my life. They told me that there's other ways to do things. Uh, and one guy specifically, his name is Ben Whitehair. At the time he was living in Los Angeles and he was five years older than me and he was pursuing acting. And when I, the way that I saw him pursue acting made me 
believe that I could pursue something different. And Ben Whitehair was definitely one of the most pivotal people that I ever had in my life because he was the first person that showed me that you could do so many different things than what I had expected of my life at the time. Uh, that my high school guidance counselor had told me. I sat down with my high school guidance counselor when I was a senior in high school, and he was like, what are you good at? I said, I'm really good at math. He's like, well, you should become an actuary because it's a really good math job, and you'll be doing statistics, and it's one of the most high-demand jobs through 2020. So I was like, all right, I'm going to go to college, and I'm going to become an actuary. <laughs> ben, that is. What? You know what it is or you don't? I don't. I think I'm a smart guy, and I've never heard that. All right, so for anybody who doesn't know, uh, an actuary is either Ben Stiller in Along Came Polly, if you've seen that movie. Okay, yeah. Okay, but if you haven't, uh, he, an actuary calculates statistics to reduce risks for big corporations. So an actuary would work for an insurance company, and they would figure out if you're 25 years old, you move to Los Angeles, you have this prior car record, this is the car that you're getting based on that style of person, here's how much we should charge them for car insurance to best our chances competing with other companies and creating the most optimal way for us to make money. So they're calculating those types of risk-related statistics for usually insurance companies. Wow. So tons okay. of statistics. So he, did you get a degree in this? Keep going. I'm so interested. No, no. I, um, so yes, I went thank to God. Thank <laughs> <No. laughs> God. Yeah. I hate learning institutions. This is something you'll learn about me the more we talk. I'm really oh. traditional learning institutions. <laughs> Yeah, I'm, I'm on board with that. Uh, we need to figure out a better way to do this thing. It's, I've seen too many people drown in student loan debt. It's hey, everybody, if you're listening, check out edx.com, E-E-D-X. Did I spell it? E-D-X, sorry. <laughs> edx.com. There's free courses from tons of universities around the world. You can take math courses from MIT. You can take, I've uh, taken enology courses from uh, the University of Adelaide and... University of California, San Luis Obispo. Um, there's there's so much learning. You can do it all for free, or you can pay 50 bucks at the start and take the learning tests with them. And if you pass it all, they'll send you a certificate from their university um, that you pass that course. That is amazing. Yeah, and the and right free. now, yeah, that looks super legit. Ed, edX. EdX, it's great. I've taken a bunch of courses. Sarah has taken like early childhood education and like all these amazing courses, child psychology, yada, yada, yada. And it's just, and they're from accredited universities. You know, if you need the piece of paper to prove it to somebody, it's there for $50 and they'll send it to your doorstep. And the internet's free to everybody. Like if there's no excuse to not learn whatever you want, if you want to read medical documents, go to PubMed. Dot com. There's absolutely every single medical document ever published on their thesis or proven. So go go read and go learn. Love it. I'm going to drop one now that we're giving these recommendations. Yeah. Lynda.com. Okay. If you want to learn how to use a camera, if you want to learn how to use editing software, I photography, do. Uh, production studio, lynda.com is one of my favorite places for learning how to use any forms of digital related technology. How do we and, spell it? Which kind of Linda? Uh, L-Y-N-D-A dot com. See, I spelled it with an I. That's so funny. Uh, <laughs> and, if you're, and if you have LinkedIn, with your LinkedIn profile login, you can get one month free of lynda.com. Awesome. So anybody who wants to test it out, if you just bought your new camera, you could probably go on lynda.com and watch a video of somebody literally unboxing the same camera you bought, showing you how to set it up and showing you how to use it. Check it out. 
awesome because that's actually something I'm really useless with is I do like a lot of video editing um, but I'm still using iMovie and I use like a really old DSLR <clears throat> I have quite a few lights cheap mics you know I set everything up on uh, on a budget so I'm so I'm still learning uh, just how to optimize everything how to make my my color settings correct just like you know even making my room brighter is uh, seems I'm very excited to check that one out because that yeah. really interests me I'm about to make the move to Final Cut Pro I think is what I'm going to do what video editing do you use I use Adobe Premiere use pre okay so I've been like ah oh, do I buy Premiere but it's such an expensive monthly fee, and Final Cut's just a one-time fee. Yeah, it is. And I, and I can transition everything from iMovie into Final Cut. It sounds like that might be the safe move. Yeah. I it's will say for anyone who is getting involved, though, and starting from scratch, mm -hmm. that the thing about Final Cut is they, just, they decided to stop updating their software. So oh. Final Cut's going to go extinct in the next five years. No, so if you are it's on, what it's on it's final cut pro 10 right now yeah final cut pro 10 they're not making one after that that's what? their last one go to 11 no they're done okay well, this, <laughs> this, so okay so if they're not updating and they're not going to make another one then i'm obviously going to start using premiere might, yeah might want to consider premiere depending on how much you want because i will say that also for anybody listening iMovie i made most of my first videos on iMovie an amazing software because it's so easy to use when it comes to actually editing videos i think people over complicate it because really all you're doing is putting one clip after the other all you really need to do is be able to cut a clip and mm -hmm. then place a clip and then cut a clip and place a clip and it's up for you to figure out what clips you want to use to get those clips and to tell the story you want and that's really where a lot of the magic comes in there are effects and color correcting and and it does get a little bit more elaborate than that but Man, iMovie can take you a really long way. But if you're somebody who's starting out fresh and you're doing it for the first time, I would recommend considering Premiere just because in the future, that's going to be where it all is. And Final Cut's not going to make a Final Cut 11. And eventually when that stuff happens, they just stop updating things. And yeah. all, all of a sudden with most Apple products, it's like one day you like have it, you have to like update your settings and all of a sudden your cell phone like doesn't work or you can't get the update and then, you know, there's just nothing you can do. No, that's, uh, that's true. I, I love it. No, uh, no excuses. I use, I, I still use iMovie today. That's what I said. Like I, you know, 150 videos and I, uh, you, you made 150 for YouTube. Yeah. Wow. And nice. I'm trying to do a video a day this year. That's my goal. I want to have a video a day. I'd like to have a, a podcast a week. Um, and I'd like to do three pieces of content, if not five on Instagram every day. Cause I'm all, I'm all in. I want I want people to find out about this. But I'm really trying to fund a show. Like I want to do a show. I've been pitching a show. Basically, me doing dinners with different chefs across the world. I have so many great ones lined up for this year. Uh, but basically, just Anthony Bourdain, Parts Unknown, but with cannabis and cannabis chefs. Um, so if anybody's listening, <laughs> <laughs> get this guy. Get this guy a show. Let's put a little team around him and see what the pilot episode would look like you got a got a name for it what do we, uh, what do we think? i think i would just make it the cannabis sommelier i think that's a great yeah. for a tv show yeah i think so too I, that really clicks with me as well so when you say the cannabis sommelier mm -hmm. is there such thing as a like cannabis sommelier like, so I, I got to give you're, you're a cannabis and sommelier yeah or so, are you a sommelier of cannabis 
God, no, I'm a sommelier. Like, I'm a wine sommelier. Okay. Who's a master of cannabis. Okay. And this is what I said in my High Times interview. Um, It really irks me when people use the word cannabis sommelier when they just know about cannabis because the word sommelier is uh, a wine steward. And to be a sommelier technically, not a master of wine, you have to work on a restaurant floor and be a master of service. So there again is another building block. Um, so I'm the cannabis sommelier because what I do is elevate dining. I'm, I'm bringing the only new evolution to dining, which is cannabis, back to the dinner table and restarting that conversation. And I surround that with fine dining uh, and fine wines, cocktail, craft beer, and service. And that's why I'm the cannabis sommelier. Everybody knowing about we- cannabis is just a, a cannabis expert. Yeah. I love it. It kind of it reminds me of the whole like vegan meat thing. I'm like, that's not technically right. <laughs> yeah, it's a yeah, it's a it's a it's a, it's a people earn that. Statement. Yeah, people earn being a sommelier. You know, it's like I don't call myself a chef just because I have a cooking show. I'm not a chef. If I say that in front of a chef, like they would be very upset with me, and I would feel like I disrespected them. You know, I feel like it's probably a similar thing. I I with being a sommelier, it's like a proud thing that you work for and you earn and. You know, for people to use it loosely, kind of disrespect something that is so classical and traditional and so uh, so important for some of the most thriving restaurants and wineries in the world. You know, it's like you got to gotta be yourself and, and do what's right. No, I totally, totally agree. And I don't like harping on it, but it's just like, how can you go to a one-day cannabis course? So there's two specific courses. There's a cannabis course that teaches a cannabis sommelier course, and that's a six-hour course to become a cannabis sommelier. And then there's the the Tricome Institute, and they have their own trademark thing, Interpeener, but their advertising is learn to be a cannabis sommelier, take the interpeening course. And just all of it seemed, and that's a one-day course as well. They have three levels now as they've gone on, but all of it, you know, I spent... Tens of thousands of dollars drinking wine, uh, hundreds if not thousands of hours reading books. Like, yeah, it's not it's not fair that somebody's taking a six hour course and they're going and they're like, I'm a cannabis sommelier. Yeah, but they're, they're probably gonna learn the hard way on the job. Unfortunately, I don't know. I don't think so because the only person that's gonna speak out against it might it might only be me. <laughs> Like, uh, the reality is unless the sommelier community dives into this cannabis world and gets really riled up, I don't think, uh, I don't think anything will ever come from it. I had talked about speaking at a sommelier conference this year, but that never ended up happening. Hopefully it does next year because this is definitely a topic I'd like to literally ask a room full of people how they feel about it. Yeah. I think that'd be good. I've had it out with both the CEOs of the companies I mentioned uh, telling them that I don't think it's proper that they use cannabis sommelier. And uh, uh, they said sommeliers didn't have a problem with it. So. <laughs> so they speak for everyone. I thought that, they're like, we've had two take it, and they didn't think it was a problem. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's a pretty innocent defense. So for everybody yeah, listening. Two that we sponsor and work with <laughs> say that it's okay. <laughs> so what I've done, what I'm doing currently, and this is how I'm going to have this content, a piece of content every single day, is... Um, it, it really kind of irked me that people were charging for a cannabis small A course because these are cheap courses, four hundred to a thousand dollars, I believe, for a, a day long course uh, using 
kind of my name. So I'm giving I'm I'm giving the courses away for free. I wrote a cannabis course three years ago. I've been turning it all into content, uh, and it's all going to be for free on YouTube. There'll be episodes rolling out uh, before the end of this month, so you'll be able to become a cannabis expert taught by the cannabis sommelier. Much better. That's better. And it's free. You don't have to. You don't have to pay all these all these people for something that they should share for free. And cannabis communities have shared for free for years, anyways. Yeah, I love that, and it's YouTube, YouTube University is sometimes what I like to call it. Free stuff on YouTube. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Totally. Oh. You know, I teach what, was, well, what was your background in education? You seem like you've been obviously very self-driven, and you have this entrepreneurial mindset, and you've been working really hard. How did you get yourself to this place? And did did you go to school for any of this, or or what's your story? Uh, so. I've, I've had a job since I was 12 years old. Uh, I'm not that that's old. I was going to like, that's illegal. Not in Canada. Really? Yeah, I got a job when I was 12 coaching gymnastics, and then a year after that, I was <laughs> working gymnastics. Yeah, I was a competitive gymnast. You know how tall I am. So I was a competitive really? gymnast till I was like 12 or 13 years old, um, which was really interesting. So yeah, coach gymnastics, well-paying job, worked at Subway, I've been fired from so many jobs. It's like kind of embarrassing when I say it, but it, but it's, it's taught me a lot about how crazy working for people is. And I think that's what really made me want to be my own boss. And I'm finally at that point, hoping that I succeed. I know I will. Cause I got this hard drive. My dad's always been an entrepreneur. My parents work from themselves as well. They're realtors. So it's, uh, when I went to university, I went to go do some, uh, some upgrading and, uh, I broke my humerus. I was out snowboarding. I snapped my humerus uh, doing the largest. I was a little bit tipsy. And uh, I ended up sitting and pretending to go to school and sitting in the bar at, uh, at university. And I would play scratch tickets and get drunk all day, which is such a sad thing to admit. But I honestly learned so much sitting there and talking to people. Like people would come talk to me or I would get to people watch. And everybody in university is so interested in telling you about what they're excited about. And that's really cool, much more than listening to a professor, especially when you can hear somebody come from a class, they're stoked for like 20 minutes, you can really take in the most exciting parts, and then you can watch people. And so I got a, I got a good uh, feel for the bar, and I learned that you'll never win on a scratch ticket ever, ever listen to me. They're fun to play at Christmas, but do not play them because you'll think you'll win. I thought if you play, you must wait, win. You wait, wait, can I tell you? Really yeah. quick, sorry to interrupt. Uh, one of my friends actually just won two hundred thousand dollars off a scratch ticket. <laughs> Not even kidding. It's so funny that you say that now because I was thinking to say that I literally have a friend that just won two hundred thousand dollars off a scratch ticket. Man, that would have proved my <laughs> damn, damn. Shout out to him, whoever that Shout out is. To him, sorry to. Oh, I okay. So, anyways, you might ticket. win on a scratch ticket. Um, yeah, don't go broke doing it that's yeah. hilarious yeah. so yeah so i did that and then i've just had a whole bunch of jobs i worked in restaurants worked in, i sold cars i sold red bull um i was a dj music was my dream uh so that was always kind of like the side hustle but i gave that up when uh when wine became a thing i moved and i grew cannabis for a bit uh and i've always been super involved in cannabis um and I, you know, I was working in dispensaries and always like, you know, in the gray market of cannabis, whatever. Um, and then I saw this documentary on Netflix. I was literally, I had had the year off. Um, I was making music, 
I had kind of come to a real stagnant point in what I was doing. And my buddy came and showed me this documentary, saw him on Netflix, and I got so stoked. Uh, first five minutes, I booked a wine course, like, for that Friday um, in watching that. And then I moved to the vineyard, and then luckily... My mom calls me. I was doing like this late press night. I'm pressing up grapes. It started to snow for the first night. It was like freezing cold. I'm by myself in the dark. And uh, my mom calls and she's like, yeah, so I met this guy at the wine show. And, uh, you know, I think it'd be a great contact. He's really excited that you're making wine. And, uh, you know, he'd probably like to work with you. And I'm like, okay. So then I had to cold call this dude like 20 times for him to finally like get together with me and he offered me a sweet job and then I was in and then I've been in wine I was in on-premise wine sales for the last two and a half years working for Juicy Wines which is like a Calgary owned and operated winery but they're the biggest Prosecco landholder in the world private landholder which is like 11% of the Prosecco grapes which is pretty cool and uh, yeah then I just had like a, a great job as the Western Canadian ambassador for Luxardo and now I'm working for myself which I'm stoked on like so stoked I've never woken up happier this last week Oh, man, I can like feel it. That's, that's amazing. All that, all the energy that you have towards all the things that you're doing. It seems the dots somehow connect. You never know how the dots are going to connect when you're trying a bunch of different things, but eventually it's, you have like those little breakthrough moments and it just it makes so much sense in the world. Yeah, exactly. When I got stoked on wine, it was just so that people would listen to me about cannabis. I knew that the vocabulary was correct. I knew the vernacular related to a certain demographic. And that was a way to sell high-end cannabis. When I became super involved in school, I didn't realize how much school there would be to be get an international accreditation. Um, and that's when I and I'm working in restaurants full time as well, but want consulting wine to restaurants. And that's when I realized, like, holy shit, cannabis is the next part of rest. Like, this is what restaurants need. This is the coolest thing. I, I can't believe that my two expertises are now coming together for the thing I love most, which is sitting around in restaurants. <laughs> Drinking wine and smoking weed. It sounds great. <laughs> sounds fantastic. So now I'm really stoked for the dinners we're doing this year. I'd really love to do a dinner with you in Los Angeles because I think people would love to eat your vegan food and I'd love to be there to infuse it and pair it with yeah. wine and, and craft beer. Um, but I'm, I'm working with, I have dinner on January 26th with chef Alicia Ross and she owns uh, Calgary's only gourmet food truck. It's all like locally sourced ingredients. She's going to go foraging for some of the stuff, which is super cool. Oh. And then in February, uh, there's this dude, chef Pierre Lamiel, Lamelier, sorry if I butchered your name, chef. Uh, and he was on Top Chef Canada and Chopped, which is, he won Chopped his episode. So that's really cool. I'm super stoked to be working with him. So the reality, I think, I think it's there. The evolution's happening. West Hollywood just got uh, cannabis consumption restaurants, right? Have you seen those? I haven't seen them, no. This happened, cannabis uh, consumption restaurants, like places you could smoke weed and order food. Yeah, and they're allowed to serve you edibles. Really? Mm -hmm. I didn't know that that was happening. I was always wondering when that would take place. I think, it I think they literally granted the licenses on Christmas Eve. Wow, so, that, I mean... Yeah, there's so many opportunities with all of this. That's how I've always felt. It's like with plant-based food and with cannabis, if you're creative and you're ambitious, this is one of the biggest opportunities in terms of being a part of just like a next wave of so many different types of businesses and startup companies and also doing it right. Like, I don't know if you see any companies out there who are dominating the cannabis market who 
are doing it in a poor way, who are over-abusing pesticides, who are over-abusing the land. I've heard that companies like Marlboro bought out a ton of land in the United States just anticipating turning them into cannabis fields. So every Canadian, you just described like 90% of Canadian cannabis licensed producers. Really? They only let very manipulative. They only let the big dogs play. It's really interesting when you start looking at the collusion between the government and how many people are sitting on board of directors at the main players. Like I think there's only 136 granted licensed producer licenses. uh, And there's only 85 that can actually sell at this moment. So when day one of legalization happened, it was basically like monopolized from the get-go and they just sold a whole bunch of crap. We like literally sprayed with chemicals, extremely poor quality. I've developed a proprietary hundred point scale to grading cannabis. This is my new big thing is I'm putting out, I'm going to be putting out cannabis reviews by daily um, so that people can see what's on the recreational market. But it's been pretty disappointing to start, like to start starting the show scoring uh, most of the bud under 50 points and only getting a few at 60 points and one above 70 is like, you know, wow. when you, right. When you go through, I can find you gray market cannabis or well, it's black market. Now I can find you black market cannabis. It's hundred points today. That is it because I know the correct people, but I know what a hundred points looks like. Yep. And so it sucks that the general consumer is being sold 50 point out of a hundred cannabis. Yep. And, yeah, uh, seems, oh, how can we change that? Uh, the craft girl will come in. What's happening is the, they've put these craft licenses into momentum, but only there was 25 applications. Now I believe there's only 12 because a whole bunch of people pulled out. Um, I got some really good advice from one of my mentors and it was a procrastination sometimes is a blessing. And I think a lot of people are thinking the same thing because there's been a lot of money spent figuring out how you're going to become a licensed producer, especially a craft licensed producer when there's a limit on how much you can grow. Um, so it's like, you know, if, if you're a small family business and you got 150 grand in the bank and you want to become legal and you know, it's going to cost a half million dollars or a million or $5 million to do it. Might as well find out from somebody else whose pockets are a little deeper than yours. Yeah. What's what that's going to look like. That's smart. Okay, so yeah, once the once the market opens up, things things could potentially change, and people will find the good stuff. I feel like that's what I'm here maybe, for. I'm here to show them. Yes, <laughs> that's what we need. And I'm out it's, here in California, where it, can, cannabis has been the thing for a long time. I can't believe nobody made a hundred point system to cannabis in California, and that's what I thought. I wanted to blind taste cannabis because I know I can. I blind taste cannabis all the time. I can tell you the lineage of it. A lot of the time, it's hard to tell you the exact strain, but I can tell you what it's built of. No problem. Uh-huh. Uh, and it just blows my mind that nobody in California with all this wine culture and all these amazing people, nobody did what this kid from Calgary, Alberta is thinking of. Wow. Like, I just, I just, I'm, I'm a little lost in that idea to be super honest with you. Huh. wonder why that is. Uh, cause people maybe are inherently lazy or there's these outlier moments where you have to seize your opportunity because absolutely everything lines up and there's the right time and there's the right place and you just have to be the right guy. Yeah. Yeah. The right person to introduce people to something higher quality to make, exactly. help them realize what exactly. this is and what value is. And people, 
get excited about the same things for alcohol in so many different ways and so many different reasons. So there must eventually be that shift where it's like there's the Walmart of weed and then there's there's, there's a wine merchant and then you yeah. can go to Sam's Club and buy. Yep. Right. Like exactly. So and that's I've always said and it goes back to me learning the demographic and the vernacular and the vocabulary fine line. I knew that a thousand dollar gram was a reality. A thousand dollar gram, you just said. Yeah, for sure. I see thousand dollar grams. Like, honestly, I would like to put a thousand dollar grams on the market uh, next year. Because, well, I know you have that face. <laughs> Nobody else can see us. Well, maybe I'll. I'm shocked right now. Well, think about it though. If there's bottles of wine that collect over fifteen thousand, twenty thousand dollars per bottle, then why can't the best, most exclusive cannabis cost a thousand dollars when you refine it into a live, a fresh, frozen, frozen live rosin? Um, you have small yields, and the thing about cannabis is, is they're micro vintages, right? In wine, we have vintages. You have the one growing season, 2016, 2017, 2018, but you can get a rotational crop inside cannabis and there's this thing called pheno hunting where people are looking for the absolute best plants so you can get these micro vintages of this absolute best plant out of you know unlike wine where you have to culminate all of the grapes to squish them out to get enough to put into a bottle you can literally choose a nug off the absolute best plant that smelled so different that's so special and expresses something so beautiful that to just throw that in with all the other plant matter, um, or, or, you know, if you refine it, just doesn't make sense to me. I believe that there needs to be a hierarchy to prove and show provenance because that's one of the big things missing in cannabis is nobody can tell me this story. When I buy bottles of wine, I can tell you all the way back to the cessation monks and every war that happened there. And I can continue telling you stories, but for some reason, cannabis just has a name and that's where the story stops. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah the history of it all mm -hmm. and now we can uncover it but it still takes somebody wanting to explain it to make it exciting like my job when i sell you know i used to sell very expensive bottles of wine uh sometimes thousand dollar plus wholesale and what sells a wine of course it's a great wine um but it's a story of a person and a place and a time and for me uh if you don't put a price on that like, uh, then you're just, you're just really losing out. Um, that's something that people love and enjoy and get excited about. Yeah. yeah like humans, I feel like they have, humans have like a collector nature to them. We always love collecting things. And when you find a passion for something, you're trying to find something exclusive. You're trying to find a piece of history. You get excited to tell the stories. You get super passionate about it. So yeah, now that I'm thinking about that being an aspect of it, cause my first thought was like a thousand dollars, like What's like the what's it like when you smoke it? Like, are you is it, all matter. of a sudden you get superpowers? You know, like I'm, that's what I'm thinking. But now I am more understanding that there is that mentality, there is that excitement and that passion for finding something that has that unique and interesting story that came from that place and that time that has that rarity to it that we can get really excited about it. If you have the money, I could see where that might fit in. Yeah, there's um. I'm sure you're, I mean, you like rap, you obviously know who two chains is. Yeah. Uh, so two chains is a show called the most expensive is to shit. And he goes out and he tries and finds the most expensive things in all different categories of life. So 
It's my uh, Blackout album from 1999, signed by Method Man and Redman, and it was wow. sealed from 1999, and they signed it in 2017. 18 years, they were the only people to ever touch it. Really? I love hip-hop. Yeah, damn. Okay, so he's, he just showed me a piece from his hip-hop collection that just strengthens the whole history of things and the exclusivity. You know, I used to collect sports cards, and I would put them in sealed cases, and, and you know, I, I'm the same way, and, and now they're in a box at my mom's house, but in the back of my like mind, when I put them there, I was like, these are going to increase value as soon as I put them in storage. I don't know how the sport card market looks now, um, but it, okay, there we go. Maybe I'm onto something. So that that's an interesting dynamic to the thousand dollar gram. Right. Okay. So two chains. Keep telling me about the most expensivest. Well, he just has a show called the most expensivest shit, where he goes and he tries the most expensivest shit. Uh, and I haven't seen too much of it, but my thought was, let's let's put these thousand dollar grams on there. That could be the moment. That could be a good opportunity. It doesn't exist yet, but once once you get there, all it all it all it takes is a beautiful package and a great story and somebody's yeah. <laughs> right. You've been it sounds like you've been a hustler uh, for a long time, and I use hustler very endearingly because I respect hustlers more than anybody. Uh, yeah, yeah. That, yeah. I don't think that's a negative word. I, I take hustling as hustling to me it means that you work really hard because you know what you want, you know things that you want to accomplish, and you're willing to do the work to get them done. And you just go hard, you know. You're just like doing whatever it takes. Totally it doesn't. It doesn't mean that you're shorting people or you're not keeping other people in mind. You know, I'm, I'm a hustler, but compassionate hustler. <laughs> you know, take other things into consideration is so important. No, but you know, you know what you want, you know where your goals are at, and you know that there's a reality of achieving them if you put in the work, and that's what hustle is to me. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Coach on the basketball court loved hustle because you were running to and from every time. Yep, yeah, that's what it was, being a kid. Hustle, hustle. Right. Absolutely, absolutely. I chose really Canadian beers to drink with you. I had a one from uh, Wild Rose Brewery. They brew out of an old airplane hangar on the Curry Barracks because where I lived was a big uh, airplane, Air Force base uh, in the Second World War. Um, okay. And the, and the uh, hangar they brew out of, my initials are AF, and the, and the hangar is AF-23, which I always think is pretty cool. Nice, yeah, that's cool. And then a Canadian Pale Ale from Village Brewery, which is another great Canadian, uh, or Calgarian uh, brewery. And I'm having a dab of Space Dog right now. Do you have anything to smoke? I don't have anything with me right now. Well, I'm gonna have to bring you some. <laughs> there we go. <laughs> yeah, when I when I met when I met you when I met Andrew, um, he had all the weed at the party, and it was all like sponsored just bags of it. Where, where did this guy come from? Just got just got off the plane from Canada. He drops in LA. He's already got people sending him bags of weed uh, just so that he could get enthused and talk about them for a ton of people. So I'm sure that that will be a similar experience next time you're out here. Hell yeah. You know it. Shout out to Gastown Dave he, and, uh, and the Count of Concentrates and uh, who else? Signorella Wines, Hedges Wines. Like you guys hooked me up. Thank you. <laughs> and then when I came back the second time I saw you, which was what? Uh, September, November? Um, September, November. Yep. That was a floor delete, and that was fantastic cannabis. That was really, really good cannabis. Um, it's incredible. The first one, uh, the first one was time I met you was all Canadian curated craft cannabis. We were thinking about bringing the the Gastown 
labeled down to uh down to California. So I still can't even say where that cannabis came from, but it was uh very nice. <laughs> very nice. Like Sasha Baron Cohen in, in different lights, so that's appropriate. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I'm definitely um, at because I got the mustache. Yeah, you definitely can rock that. <laughs> I, I'm figuring out my afro thing. Well, so um, me with the mustache, if I, I I first started growing it when I got into wine, so I've had this is actually the first mustache I've ever grown, and I've had it for oh man, more than three years now. But I got into wine and I grew the mustache, and Sarah's like, ah, oh, stop, just commit to it already. And I was like, okay, and so I get this mustache, and I'm like, I want to shave it. And she's like, you can't shave it because everything you say about wine without a mustache is bullshit. <laughs> I got to admit, when I saw you and I saw the mustache, it added validity. I was like, this guy, this, he's on to something. That's it. That's it. Yeah, it makes me look yeah. older. It makes me look wise. There's a, there's, a, there's, a lot of, there's a lot of memories in this mustache, I guess. Yeah. Oh, man. All the, all the things that have been done and said. Yeah. Well, now I put it on my card. I have new cards where I've, I've made my Bitmoji uh, like 90% of the card because I think it just looks hilarious. I'm looking around. Good. I, I hope you enjoy the mustache because that might stick. You might be stuck with that thing. Okay, we got his business card. There we go. That looks good. Right. And guess what? I put it on both sides. Nice. <laughs> yeah, I so think the mustache is going to stay forever. I just wish it would fill in in the middle. I don't know. Okay. I think the problem is it's still yeah, my first mustache. Yeah, maybe you'd have to shave it and let it come back stronger. I've heard that, but yeah, that's a it's an important thing. You gotta if you're building a brand around that, you gotta like it. I uh, so I right now I'm going through this like random hair transformation where I just have this sudden urge to grow my hair the longest it's ever been. Yes. People are comparing me to Bob Ross. If you guys know who he is, he's famous for these kids teaching kids how to paint videos uh, that I would watch growing up. And somebody had commented and they mentioned to me they're like, you know, Bob Ross did not like his Afro hairdo, but he wore it and it stuck and it became his brand. So he just had to rock it for the rest of his life, whether or not that was uh, valuable because it made his success possible or whether or not that was a horrible thing that led him to a constant feeling of, man, I just want to cut my hair, but I can't, I don't know, but it's stuck and he had to rock an Afro for the rest of it all. And he's got a very iconic Afro, but I was sad to learn that he didn't really like it. That is upsetting. No, I so love, I love my like mustache. Stash. Okay, I love good. my cool. stash. It's uh, yeah, I, 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 I love it a little too much, I think. And I like, I really like my afro too. Like, I love my jufro. I've, I hated it when I was a kid. Have you always liked your curls? Uh, I never let it become curls. I so maybe I didn't. I would always get a buzz cut. This is yeah, you hate new it. and rare for me. Yeah, <laughs> it's awesome. It's awesome. I'm, my hair is probably as long as yours. I just put so much product in it because it has to be tamed. Yeah, you get done well. Good job. <laughs> I don't know. I try. Sometimes it looks a little <laughs> bit. I think, I think I'm almost ready for a haircut, but I'm feeling you. I really love growing my hair super long because I just love having a big fro. I don't know what it is. Like when I first met Sarah, my hair was so long. You know, if you pulled it out, it's past the mustache. And wow. yeah, I, I, uh, yeah, I've always worn the Jufro with a lot of pride. Chicks dig the curls. That was one thing I learned early. I get a lot of good compliments on the curls. Yes. And it's, but it's half the people are telling me I need to get rid of it and asking me what the hell I'm doing. So I don't know. No, I'm sending them home. <laughs> curls are fantastic. Like There's um, nothing. 
Nothing better. Just a quick note. I got to hop out very shortly here. Fantastic. Quick time acknowledgement. Fantastic. We'll, we'll give it the, 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 the like two minute mark. We'll wrap it up. I think we should do another episode because I, I, I really enjoyed chatting with you. Yeah, me too. This is great. There's a lot of things that I was like excited to touch on and we touched on half of them, but I got a whole other half of things that hopefully we could uh, inspire people through entrepreneurship and plant-based food. And I'd love to even tap more into recipes and brainstorm ideas on collaborations. Yeah, I want to know how the hell you got on TV and all those things too. So we'll save that for another uh, another yeah. episode. I love it. Okay, well, thank you so much for chatting tonight. Um, it was great having you on Beers with Buds. I'm glad you enjoyed your beer. I really enjoyed my beer. Um, thanks to everybody who was listening. Thank you so much, Mario. And uh, I, we'll, we'll, we'll chat soon and we'll, uh, we'll share it with everybody. Yes, thank you so much, Andrew. It's, uh, I'm really excited for everything that you're doing and I'm really happy to, to be a part of this. Awesome. Cheers, Mario. Have a great night. Cheers, you too. Bye-bye.